Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So with Toby and myself today, we're delighted to be joined by Ming Tang, Director of Data and Analytics for NHS England and NHS Improvement. So welcome, Ming. We're delighted to have you join our AMX FICA podcast. Welcome, Ming. Thank you. Great. So kicking off with uh, all good things, the most important question is this is Fika um, and it's uh, coffee and a cake. I've got a chocolate brownie here. <laughs> What's your favourite cake, Ming? My favourite cake, actually, um, I don't have a huge sweet tooth, so I like yeah. carrot cake and I like it without the icing, <laughs> um, yeah. mainly because, you know, of health stuff. And I, yeah. I tend to bake my own because I, I tend to reduce the sugar. <laughs> Great. Uh, good, good. And Toby, yours? Um, I'm a I'm a simple fella, so I, I like to keep it quite plain. Um, I also not not a fan of sweet things, so I go for the Victoria sponge. Ah, uh, so I'm, I'm cool. uh, I have to watch what my, mine is a low calorie cake. Right? <laughs> 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 it's right, right. <laughs> so Ming, uh, just just to introduce yourself to to, to everybody else on on the podcast, as it, we mentioned as well, you started your career as a, as a pharmacist student in the NHS, um, and you moved then I think to Glaxo Smith Klein. Yes, um, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, and then you moved, I think you did an MBA and moved to Accenture and you spent, I think, was it six odd years with uh, the Australian office uh, before yeah. coming back to the UK, um, where I believe you joined uh, as one of the, was it the York, South Yorkshire, wasn't it, Bassett Law Commissioning Group as well? Yeah. Yeah. And be interesting, and some of those roles we, we were talking about earlier, you know, they, they bring an awful lot to the role and, and to what you do today. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah. I think I've had the opportunities and also ex- I, I've, I feel very fortunate actually. I've, I've done lots yeah. of things in my career and worked in lots of countries. So um, that's been really expansive. I guess my starting point in Glaxo, I'll be always be grateful to them as a company. They had a fantastic graduate training scheme, which is what I joined on. Um, I did tours around the country, worked in every factory, more or less, that they had, including the primary sites in um, Scotland and North Cumbria. So it's, it's, it's really, um, it allowed me to really gain confidence and give me a real mixture of things so you know at the age of 21 22 I was managing a group of like 40 lot older than me women um, who were really you know stalwarts of the organization in the packing area or in the manufacturing area um, very much saw me as their young daughter treated me very well really looked after me but I also had quite a lot of big projects so I you know i I had a design build project for a new facility for a transfer of, of a product from um, our site in Barna Castle down to the site in Liverpool where I was based. So orchestrating that 
project managing that, giving me the confidence to actually just do it, you know, right down to recruiting the people, designing the colours, looking at the the GMP kind of quality constraints, etc. So really big projects at a very young age. And I I just continued with that. I mean, my last um, role in GlaxoSmithKline was really um, new products manager, which was a global role. So very much traveled all around the world. You know, I was I'm really fortunate it was in the time when pharmaceuticals had lots of money. And my first three months, I traveled around the world extensively just to meet the customers and make sure they knew who I was and how I was going to support their business and help them manage the log- logistics for new product launches, which was my role. Um, and as part of that, you know, flying to the US, you know, company jet. So lots wow. of really good experiences. Um Times that won't happen again because they, they were the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, but, you know, feel very fortunate to have had those experiences. And you mentioned as well as opening yourself up for those opportunities, isn't it, is, is a key 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 thing as well you mentioned earlier. So yeah. 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 So, you know, I think lots of people think about only going for jobs that they're really qualified for. Yeah. My, my kind of view of life is you should open yourself up to those opportunities. You... And the talent that you take is not necessarily the content knowledge that you may have, but is an experience base and openness to learn and actually is the application of your skills that you have. So as a pharmacist, you know, there's no way I knew lots about project management, but I did some project management skills. You know, you're in consulting uh, that that logistics experience then took me into consulting, into supply chain consulting. Quite strategic work then took me into supply, you know, strategic consultancy. I did a lot of commercial stuff at Glaxo, working with third-party suppliers, understanding, you know, sourcing strategies, etc., which then allowed me to actually then learn more in consulting about category management and sourcing and procurement. So you always learn yeah. from, you never start from a blank sheet. You always mm-hmm. build on your knowledge previously. That then opens you up to opportunities to do new things. Well, So just, just to come in there, Ming, um, how do you feel your experience having had, career, have, having had a career outside of the NHS has helped you coming into our ecosystem? Because we do have quite a lot of people who have sort of started and maintained their career within the NHS what kind of skills and perspectives do you feel that having gone out and coming back in has sort of given you I think I think the NHS has a huge skill set nationally you know internally but I do think some of the external exposures means that I'm particularly around commercial stuff I'm much more happy to have those open, frank commercial conversations. I think the NHS, we're almost scared of our suppliers and we tend to kind of buy to their requirements or we get very caught up with um, very tight restrictions without really understanding the context. So I think context is really important. Um, Opening open to other industries, having solutions that we can adopt. I think we're not so good at adopting and adapting. We tend to breed our own solutions and actually a lot of the things that we're trying to solve may not totally be the same but 80 you know 60 70 80 percent of it will be sorted somewhere else that we can apply to the NHS situation that last 20 30 percent is really important because of our clinical and all those other governance issues 
but actually you can build out a solution quite quickly if you are willing to adapt to those um, other industry solutions. Yeah, great. Um, I mean, just to take that into context of kind of the future going forward, we know that, you know, we're moving towards our intelligence and uh, analytical capability needs to be at the heart of these new integrated care systems that we're developing to help you know, the leaders make more effective decisions. So we've got to transform, you know, from what we do today. There's probably been a huge amount of learning that's happened you know, during COVID. Is there anything mm. that you think that we need to probably sort of take forward that we could, you know, as, as best practice and some good advice? Because the change we, we have to make is quite, you know, is quite, quite significant. Yeah. I think the major thing is not to go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Particularly for the analytics community, I think everybody's been pushed quite and stretched quite severely yeah. you know and it, it will be natural to rebound and say actually I'm going to go back to my comfort zone yeah. um, because that's normal and I think we should all acknowledge that's normal but actually think about what you've learned and how you can then apply those skills to new situations because I think what the NHS needs is probably less inward-facing analysis and more outward-facing what could we do better and what are the innovations that we need to drive that. And what COVID has taught us mostly is there is a huge demand for decision-making using tools that give them drive scenario analysis, drive us to better plan, better understand the impacts, integrating systems. If you take that into your new world, that's how you're going to prepare to be a better analyst. It's not always the single spreadsheet or the single model. It's actually how do we integrate those. But also a trick I always kind of try and get my guys to do is think about these things as modules. Mm -hmm. You know, what we tend to do is, and I'm very happy to say to people, you know, I will be the one that tells you that baby spreadsheet or that baby model you've got is really ugly, you know. I will be really open about that. You might love it, but you know, making it more beautiful to, so that only you can control it is the way to kill it. Mm. Uh, so, and I think people need to just accept that. So the earlier that you engage with a broader set of people so you can understand requirements, you can actually understand the business context, the key questions that they're trying to answer, yep. the better your solution is going to be in your piece of work is going to be exposing it to that criticism is actually part and parcel of getting better yeah. so i think that's a really um important thing so in covid we all we all came together and coalesced around the problem yeah. and you need to create that environment so that people can coalesce around your analysis and your solutions that's how we kind of make better solutions and all of a sudden you'll integrate you'll have those conversations you know we all want to you know, there's always the ask, why can't we have more insight? Well, you can't give insight if you don't understand the context of which your solution or your tool or your analysis is supposed to be supporting. It's a healthy challenge that helps you grow, doesn't it, as an individual? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And not to be afraid of it, you know. We, you know, just be, yeah. you know, for me, you know, I'm old now. <laughs> I can actually say, I, I, I go around in meetings quite often and say, I really don't know. Mm. It's nothing wrong with saying you don't know. No. Yeah. It's not you don't know and you don't care. I don't know. Help me understand so I can help you is yeah. kind of the context that we need to get to. And it, it, interesting picking up that piece about don't know. You know, we, we know that industry and, and you know, suppliers can add an awful lot of value to the NHS. We, we can't necessarily do everything ourselves. And there's an important part for them to play. What, what How would we, how would leaders sort of bring those sorts of uh, 
suppliers and industries into the NHS because we can't do everything alone and they can offer an awful lot to us, can't they? Yeah, it's it's the bit about not starting with a blank sheet of paper, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, most industry partners, suppliers will have probably a 60% solution that kind of will probably work. But yeah. what we tend to focus on is a 40% that doesn't work, right? Yeah. And we, we dish that, yeah. not yeah. look at the 60. So it's turning that frame of reference to, okay, here's a 60 that works. What would we need to do to make the other percentages work? What would it take to take it to an 80% solution? Is that worth doing? And could, can they do that? Or do we need to do that with them? That's the partnering bit, isn't it? Understanding where we actually add value and not thinking that we add value in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, the supply chain kind of view of life is you don't own the entire supply chain. You have to have partners that connect, link, and do things in synchrony. That's working in partnership with others. That's where those opportunities overlap, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And actually not worrying about, you know, I think the other thing I always hear is we're teaching them to the NHS. Well, what's wrong with that if we get a better solution faster? What really is wrong with that? You know, we will always end up bespoking our stuff unless we we actually embrace industries. I've worked in retail, you know, where we, in the early... 2000s retail only had really one or two channels look at how retail operates now their models totally changed they wouldn't have done that if they didn't embrace the fact that they were losing you know losing demand you know they were getting fat and happy and they needed to actually change their revenue streams in the same similar way for in you know our ICSs we need to change the way that we serve the public just having acute hospitals and community hospitals isn't going to work we need to drive those pathways that integrate the components to have a better patient experience we all want a better experience for people as an end-to-end we don't want you know our family receiving conflicting messages around you know come to this outpatient appointment no you don't need to come for a blood test oh no you don't need to or worse still we're going to jab you three times because we don't know who's done it before so all of those things require service level thinking and end-to-end integration in you know in treating it as a supply chain or a pathway and also keeping the the public in that sort of democratization of data allowing them to be able to see what we see Because they're yeah. usually better decision makers than we are. Yeah, and treating them yeah. as adults rather than children yeah. that we know best and we will tell them how to behave and what to do. You know, there's a huge demand for self. If we are going to meet the requirements of the wellness, keeping people at home, keeping people well, we need to engage with them. And that patient education piece is really important. And, you know, the analyst community can actually help us do that because we, we need to better understand the makeup of our population. We better need to better need to better understand what the drivers are. How are those wider determinants of health going to impact our ability to service those customers or those patients? Yeah. And just on, on the sort of leaders, because a lot of you know data, data analytic leaders, lots of change coming, and how and trying to think, how do they sort of keep fleet of foot and, and keep their relevance going forward? We mentioned obviously bringing industry is, is one thing, but I think you mentioned before it was application was, was critical. Yeah, yeah, this is a really strong passion of mine is telling people actually content and skills in knowledge only last so long. 
I've seen so many in my consultancy days, I've seen so many people that are really experts in niche things. When that niche thing is no longer important, you just disappear. You, you're no longer relevant. So actually your value to the organization and your value to yourself yeah. you know, diminishes. So for me, it's really staying relevant, making sure that you understand the direction, what's coming over the horizon, making sure that you're stretching yourself to cover those things so that you actually start understanding how you apply what you have. You know, the fantastic thing about analysts is we want to have more analysts as leaders because you can look at data, you can understand data, you can interrogate it and ask the right questions. That's the skill set that stays with you as an analyst. It's not necessarily understanding every nook and cranny in the spreadsheet in the model. That doesn't, you know, and if, if your whole career has been based on asking questions about PBR, when PBR goes, yeah. what are you going to be asking? So how do you apply that skill and understanding yeah. to new things? Fantastic, great. And you know, you mentioned as well your career today. From from our analysts listening on the podcast, there's some. Re- I'm sure there's some really good advice about how you how you manage your career today um, to be where you want to be. You mentioned when we spoke earlier, there's certain things you do. I think that'd be really good to share with everybody. Yeah, <laughs> some of the things I do is I'm. Um, I think it's the journey starts with yourself, right? Yeah. So I've had quite a lot of conversations with fame colleagues about this. Your journey starts with yourself. It's it's how you feel about yourself that determines how you then front up to the rest of society and what what face you put on. So first of all, spend some time understanding yourself. Get some 360 feedback because you need to understand how people see you. And if you haven't really done some of the personality type questionnaires, do some because they, they are quite insightful. Once you know that, then look at yourself and spend a bit of time, whether it's with a coach or a friend or some, you know, some mentor. Mm-hmm. What makes you on your best day? What are the factors that make you work really well? Really analyze that because that's the criteria you need to think about. For you to be continue to be successful, they're the things that you need to take into your next job or your next opportunity. It's not necessarily I want a career path from here to there and I'm going to draw a straight line and these are the you know, milestones on the way. It's always about what makes you successful you understanding that is really important then it's then being open to those opportunities i selected my career opportunities not by position Mm -hmm. not by title not by pay but actually quite a good thing is i look at a job and i think of that job what are the things i hate (laughs) is that a big percentage because i'm not willing to do a job that where a big percentage i'm going to be unhappy right not I'm not going to be successful because I'm unhappy (laughs) so really be clear so if you don't understand yourself you don't know because you're going to leap into it and early on in your career you will make some of those errors you know I ended up as a signing off QA batches as a qualified person that wasn't me (laughs) that was one of my mistakes but I knew that quite quickly and then I I became the the key auditor to get the factory ready for inspections that was more me because it was working with people Right. to do that yeah so what gives you that energy then Ming, isn't it i suppose yeah if you, yeah. If you can yeah. look at a job and you say don't think a job's ever going to be 100 yeah. percent perfect because it never is there's always going to be understand your tolerance level mm. and try and find roles that don't give you more than that tolerance level of things that you don't do well to 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 add on 
to your comments, Ming. Um, I think your approach to understanding yourself is is really insightful, makes a lot of sense. Um, I think what I would like to understand more about is how you develop the fortitude and the resilience to overcome adversity and arrive at the point where you can confidently say, I don't know, but I'd like to learn. Because I think a lot of people on their journeys might not know how to get to that point, yeah. especially when they're quite junior in their career. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think I've been really fortunate. I've always asked for help. I've never worried about. Um, and I think that goes back to my, my childhood, really. I, I grew up in a Chinese town of a kind of fantastic, you know, top middle class upbringing. I worked quite hard. My parents had a Chinese takeaway. So from a very early age, I was taking orders in the takeaway in between doing schoolwork and stuff. And what I learned there was you just had to stand up for yourself <laughs> and you had to you had to be more resourceful in questions that people would ask you and you, you kind of coped. So I would say for people that didn't have that upbringing, you need to put yourself into situations where you have to think on your feet and know that you're going to get it wrong. So the bit about understanding yourself is actually know that you're going to get things wrong and not be too hard on yourself. But every time something goes wrong, take that as a learning experience. And what did you do to get out of it? Because a lot of this is about habit, right? So what dirty little secret is what people don't tell you is everyone gets nervous about everything. But it becomes habitual how you deal with it. So, you know, I, I say to young ladies, you know, do your Superman pose, you know, because a lot of women get worried about presenting. So I, in my early days, I would go behind the scenes and I would do some deep breathing and I'd do my super, Superman pose. Nobody's going to get to me, right? <laughs> you know, my first presentation to 300 people, global audience for medical, my voice was shaking and I was, but I still kind of felt myself grounded and did some breathing. So there are techniques that you can learn, and that's kind of why actually going talking to a few people, be be curious, go and talk to people. If you sit in a meeting and you think someone handled something really well, speak to them about it, ask them, how did they do it? How do they come about it? A, that person will feel really privileged to be able to teach you and learn and help you. You'll be surprised right. when you ask for help, and you, they'll, they'll feel flattered and they'll help you. What we don't tend to do is we think, oh, they think I'm going to be really silly. Mm. Nobody thinks you're silly, right? Really, they will help you. And you know what? If they don't, don't ask them again. Yeah. There are plenty of other nicer people in the world. Yeah. Don't feel, I think we take too much on it's me. A lot of it is what are they going through that day in their life? That's the other thing. Yeah. Too quick sometimes to judge, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's putting yourself out there, isn't it, and, and learning from the experience. I remember even speaking publicly is is that it can be nervous for people, but yeah. looking at it as an exciting experience because you're not going to get very many opportunities to do this. So relish it, enjoy it. You will get nerves. It's natural, isn't it? There's a great podcast. Um, I think it's Learning How to Fail. I can't remember, but yeah. I listen to it in the car all the time. And it, they, they have famous people, yeah. um, scientists, all sorts of people. It, you know, it's just getting their experience from failure how they coped and how they learned. And you'll see that everybody does it. It's a, it's a human thing, isn't it? Yeah. And you know what? If we didn't fail, we wouldn't learn. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. 
Ming, it's been wonderful to have you with, with us today. Um, and just finally, outside of all the data analytics, what do you do to relax? <clears throat> what do I do to relax? Those people that know me, I, I have a personal plan every year. So this uh-huh. is one of the things I do. Yeah. I actually learn a skill outside of what I do every year. Yeah. So this year it was upholstery. Oh, wow. So I went and I always invest in myself. So I always put yeah. aside a bit of money yeah. and I will, I will go away for a week. Last year I, did, I made a, a chair from Greenwood. I do lots of baking. Yeah. I do lots of jewellery making, so silver clay jewellery making. So I do all sorts. Of, I do a lot of things outside of work, actually. That's great. Yeah, we're not going to see you on the repair shop soon then, are we? <laughs> I love that programme. I so love that programme. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, I, I, because I do a lot of stuff with my head and whatever i like to do stuff with my hands outside of work brilliant yeah fantastic wonderful to have you on on the on the, on the call with us but uh yeah hopefully have you join us again thank you Take really care. enjoyable thanks for asking thanks. okay bye-bye so I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future.